Teaching Channel Talks. I'm Wendy Amato, and it's a pleasure to welcome back Sheila Andreen, Film Director and CEO of Impactful. Sheila, welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me, Wendy. We know that data and metrics and performance and outcomes are all over uh, when we talk about things that matter. Can you share how Impactful is collecting data? Sure. So we have the Creative Coping Toolkit, which is our portal or dashboard where we deliver our um, mental health literacy program. And we've just in the last, I guess, two weeks added our what we call our EIR, which is our engagement and impact reporting tool, where we are collecting not just the usual, like where people are located through a heat map or how many people are watching, but also um, we have before and after questions that we've uh, built into the program, super quick, super easy, and they were designed to sort of self-reflect. So when you're answering the question, for example, with uh, race to be human, how comfortable are you participating in conversations about race and racism with your community and family, something like that. That's not quite that long. And then we'll ask after as well. So we can start. So very basic, very simple on that level. And uh, we've built that into all of our programs and then certain assets, whether it's a social emotional learning activity or a way to hack your brain that to feel better or self-soothe or calm or ground. And I, I'm so excited to start collecting that data on mass to be able to see what things are popular, what um, what's working. It'll inform me on what more to create, what I could create to support uh, certain things or change things or eliminate them altogether. So um, yeah, it's really interesting, but it opens up a whole can of worms, you know, like who's answering under what circumstances and in what community. And, you know, we don't invade anyone's privacy. I've never had a doubt about the power of your films there's not a question that they make a difference in the lives of the viewers and in the extended audience that uh, engages in conversation. Now that you have some numbers, I hear you suggesting that it could inform future decisions. What kinds of decisions may be shifted because of the information coming in? Well, I mean, I get passionate about making certain things because I feel like that's what people want or they're talking about. But then there's also this whole kind of, not underbelly, but there's this whole other stuff that's going on that we don't even know about yet. So that might be able to reveal itself. I, um, like you said, I've been in multiple screenings where it's just been amazing to be able to experience the power of the the stories and people are hugging or talking or sharing or opening up, but we don't know what's happening when they're watching with their families at home. We don't know what the, what's happening when they're just watching individually. So this will give us an opportunity. This gives them an opportunity to, to share some of their feedback. It's interesting when people talk about data to be a, a four letter word in the worst sense. It's as though data dehumanizes a conversation or detracts from the positive impact. Why, why are you bothering when we know that your films are supported by testimonials and outpourings of support? How, how 
how do you tell yourself that you need to go and get the numbers on top of that? I think that schools and corporations are wanting to invest in um, programs where they can actually measure impact. I think everybody is hungry or starving for much more detailed data besides just views um, because you don't know who's watching, right? But if you know the views and you know that it's predominantly people under 18 or predominantly, you know, like fifth graders, or if you like, cause it's very, it does ask very basic uh, sort of gender or, um, you know, gender basic demographics, basic demographics. And, you know, when you're dealing with mental health and you're dealing with information that is so personal and so difficult to talk about, or even difficult to understand, like these feelings that we have, how do you put words to those feelings? And so I think in some ways, collecting the data itself helps to break down those feelings, which is why we wrote them in such a way to be kind of self-reflective. And so it's, it's not like you have to have an opinion. It's more like taking inventory. I love thinking about creating assets that support continuing the work and customizing that asset creation based on the feedback and after looking at the data, that's where we really help people go further and take things to the next level. We can, we can develop additional tools that help companies and schools to take care of people, of humans. Yeah. I no. worry a little bit that if schools and companies are looking at data, that they feel some need to have to justify the spend for programs that care about people. How, how, do, how do school budgets, how does the financial side of providing a meaningful program change decision-making in schools and companies? Well, I think it's going to become mandatory that you are able to measure impact. Just as we give grades to students to see if the teachers are being effective teaching the curriculum. Um, it's unfortunate that we fall into these sort of buckets that are very closed to measure everyone because there's so many other things you can measure. And I, I think even, you know, having been at several healthcare conferences at the corporate level lately, no one's really mastered that yet, right? And so how do we measure ourselves and in this way about our feelings and our thoughts and our thinking, thoughts and thinking are different, right? Like one is a struggle and active, one might be more inspirational. Like how do you break all that down and then use that data to do something meaningful to share back with that community or individual or even how to like create programming to move forward. So it's, it, it's really a kind of a, a new frontier for us and and I think for a lot of companies, but I think it's going to have to be mandatory because you don't want to spend money, time and energy implementing a program that you can't measure beyond, oh, I like that a lot, right? What may surprise you about the story being told by the numbers? Do you, do you anticipate having some, some scratch your head moments of like, huh? A hundred percent. I think that we're going to look at stuff and I might you know, we might quickly interpret it in a certain way. Then to come to realize a year later, like, oh, actually, it's really saying this in addition to that. I think we only know enough to see the surface level, but we'll start learning. And, you know, it's interesting, even 
there aren't enough psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists. So now they're opening up, you know, support um, teams can include life coaches and you know, like people are getting certified in all kinds of different ways to be able to help people. We're learning, we're all, so many of us are now taking first aid mental health courses to be able to help someone just as we did CPR back in the day and or doing the Heimlich maneuver. We are learning as a community to be able to help each other. And you know, this data may inform us that regular human beings can actually, not saying mental health professionals aren't regular human beings, but they're licensed and trained. But because we're dealing with the human condition that as just regular people, unlicensed, that we actually can learn to be there for each other and for ourselves more. Often those will be the first responders, just that uh, that person near you. Yep. They may not have formal training at all, but their instincts could be more in tune because they know you. It's true. And I will say, I will say there is this fine line, and I can say this because I am, I have been that parent. Parents tend to jump in and rescue and fix and, you know, like, intervene even when a kid hasn't even asked them to right because that's our we, we we do that as protectors and and parents but i do think there needs to be a tremendous amount of parent education um before kids come in the picture um but just how to like manage ourselves so we can be better teachers for our children and protectors uh that's been a big one and there's quite a few my list is long of more content to make for parent education with regard to mental health. Being, being protectors and being teachers is interesting because it means different things to different people. There are even cultural connotations to those concepts. We yeah. heard about helicopter parenting and, uh, and then I think that evolved even to become a snowplow parent where the helicopter hovered above and then the snowplow parent didn't even want the student to hit a bump and was, was paving the way in advance of the child's arrival to any circumstance or situation. Why? where do we stop? Yeah, I, I think we feel like our children are so fragile. And I hear it a lot, you know, when my kids were younger, like, oh, I don't want them to like lose their childhood. I don't want them to like, I don't want them to grow up too fast or whatever. Well, kids grow, they grow fast and they're so smart and they can access, you know, through technology, they can access so much information so quickly and can digest it quickly. So I feel like Getting data on that will be really informative to share with parents and educators. Let's imagine that I'm a school administrator. I'm in touch with you to make arrangements to have a screening for my district. How might this topic of data or impact come into our conversation as we make our plans? Well, we'll be able to share data with, and, and we'll even be able to like say, here's some sample data collected from a community of your size, or if it's rural or if it's urban, like, you know, we'll be up, which will be really nice. And that here were the efforts and the assets and materials they used to communicate that were most effective. Um, here's what here, you know, they'll be able to see the takeaway from it. And the, especially over time, as we continue to check in with, through our engagement team, as we continue to check in with the you know, schools that we work with, um, they give us data, which is so fabulous. I mean, we had a school in 
Southern California that implemented one of our programs and they were very really hesitant because they didn't have a lot of resources in place yet. They weren't they weren't sure if they were prepared to open up this conversation, even though they knew there was a suicidal thoughts and you know just depression and a lot of anxiety. But fast forward, not only have they have implemented groups and clubs that are peer-led and educator only, right? For whether it's addressing um, belonging and or bullying and and it has haloed out into the next tier of community just surrounding the school because they got sponsors from like the bakery down on the corner and the tire shop, you know, two blocks away who like donated 50 bucks to go towards hosting a, a screening event or whatever. And um, yeah, they, it just gets everybody included because they're talking about mental health. And I think we're starting to finally get to a place where people, it, you know, you hear it all the time. It's okay to say, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to talk about it. We're starting to normalize it now. And now people are wanting to get more granular with it, right? Like, can we talk about suicide specifically? Can we tell, like before that would have never happened. They're like, oh, I don't know if we want to talk about anxiety because then everyone will get it. It's like, not cold, not contagious. <laughs> yes, I understand. You know, like you can't just look at your kid and because they're like, I have a stomach ache, I don't feel good, I don't want to go. And you can't say, oh, you have an anxiety disorder, let's go to a psychiatrist. Like, we don't want to do that. But it's, there's an awareness now. So we can start leaning in and looking more closely at whether we need to get help. I like thinking that I can be a district leader. I can recognize that I want to bring you to, to my district, have a screening. I like knowing that you could provide look-alike models uh, so I can see what other districts like mine have done and, and what a difference it can make. When you talk about limited resources or questioning whether the staff is prepared to open up complex issues and conversations, the reassurance that can be provided through the data is going to help districts move forward more quickly and with greater confidence. That's my hope. I think uh, we need to start teaching these tools to all of us. Entering the conversation to talk about mental health is really effective when you focus on youth and adolescents. And I'm involved in a lot of those conversations, but I got to tell you, at the end of the day, you're not going to accomplish anything if we can't school up the educators, the staff, and the parents. And this is a whole different thing. This isn't like learning some math problems, right? And parents don't necessarily need to be involved. This is a whole community approach. If we're going to make any change, meaningful change, we all need to be on board. And grown-ups, I'm sorry, we're just kids and grown older bodies, right? We still are dealing with stuff and we were conditioned and we've learned how to like be appropriate or be professional. We understand lines and boundaries, most of us. But, and so maybe kids need to learn that too, but we need to learn about it so we can model it for our kids. That's a huge piece of it. It does take a village. It will take a village to do this right. And we wanna make sure that we're equipping all of the population groups uh, to, to meet the needs. Focusing on children, focusing on students, on adolescents um, helps remind us why it's important. We have a responsibility as adults, as adult members of our communities to take care of those who, who need us. 
and we need to provide for ourselves. Yeah. You know, I'm taking care of them. Sitting on a plane coming home the other day with a gentleman who served in the military. He was on a submarine and he did the man, the torpedo, whatever. And for a long time, and he just retired. And I said, did you ever, and he's young too. Like he's not some old guy, but I said, did you ever like do any mental health training or did they address mental health? And he just looked at me and he said, not a bit. And I said, do you think it would be a good idea to do that? And he said, a hundred percent. Like the, the things we're asked to do to defend the freedom of our country there is no mental health <laughs> support or, or training or uh, awareness there. We've seen long-term um, damage to a lot of people because yeah. they haven't been cared for in all the ways that they've needed. And that's the stigma, right? Like that's a sign of weakness. That's the thing for just the outliers. But we've been so focused on the PTSD and the after effects and the triage there and that's grown so much I think now we realize oh and COVID really forced our hand right now we realize oh okay this is bad so now we have the attention on it which is great it's alarming to think about the way we say that someone who is seeking care with a mental health professional that they have uh, something they're working on that there's a problem when it's the people who aren't seeking help, who aren't receiving care, that's the problem. Yeah. And often there's a stigma associated with seeking help when really it should be the other way around. Yes, and we all need to really think about not jump to conclusions. For instance, in the financial sector, you start saying that you have anxiety, do you really... I mean, I think the first assumption is, oh, so if I give you my money to invest and you're dealing with all this anxiety or whatever, are you going to do a good job, right? Um, so there's these assumptions that we make when people open up about that. Now, if your uh, financial advisor had a headache or broke their arm or had a toothache, you wouldn't question their competency. Um, so we have to get to a point where because someone is, you know, having dark thoughts, or not in a great space, doesn't mean they can't function at their best. No, granted, it's tough, it's hard, it's not sustainable. People can still do the work, um, but what they need is help and support. The name Impactful is so perfect for your organization. It's exactly what you are. Yeah, and so the name was actually really easy when we were just, I mean, honestly, I've been trying to find a name for about eight years. <laughs> and uh, I just was like, I don't know, I don't know. And then finally, it was like, we kept hearing impactful so much. It was almost like a joke. It's like, well, we should just call ourselves impactful. And then I, for you know, just for fun, I went and looked online, impactful.co, not .com, but .co was available. And I thought, .co is getting pretty popular, like .io. Okay, let's do it. So we did it. Of course, everyone says, oh, you forgot the M on .com. It's like, no, there's no M, but because that hasn't been so widespread yet, but we're getting there. It's wonderful. I, I'm, I'm grateful for the name because it tells people this is serious and we can do something about it. Yeah, and it's, it is, I like to make it fun, right? Like 
It shouldn't be scary. It shouldn't be so precious. It shouldn't be life or death. It should be fun. It should be, you know, like I want to spark curiosity and an interest in a way that people are longing to know and then implement some changes. And my goal is to affect people within a minute of watching. Once it's over, like, okay, I'm going to turn my phone to grayscale and I'm going to hack my own brain so that the not the chemical release from seeing those bright colors in my phone, or I'm going to, I've now learned how I can, if I see someone being bullied, I can go up to them, take them aside because I'm not courageous enough to just be in the moment there, it might not be safe, but I can pull them aside and I can say, I'm here for you. And I can, you know, if you need me, like we can go find some help somewhere from a trusted person. Or if, if you see someone who, in the corner who you think is like having some severe anxiety, you can go and check in on them without feeling like you're giving up your life or now you're responsible or that you have to fix it, right? Um, just well, you- right away, right away actions. Yeah. Sheila, thank you for sharing with educators and leaders across the country today about opportunities to see the incredible impact of the films that you have produced. Sorry, it's not producing. What's the word I want? Films you've made? Yeah. Okay, do over. Sorry, Sam. Sheila, thank you for sharing with me about the impact of the films that you've made. It's going to be very exciting to see the data that comes out of the EIR. And I look forward to having another conversation with you where we can present some of those findings. Yeah, I'm really excited for that conversation. To the listening community, thank you for joining us in this conversation. I'm inviting you to explore the topics that Sheila and I have discussed and to see how to arrange for a screening for your community. Check out the show notes at teachingchannel.com slash podcast. I'll see you soon for another episode. Thank you, Sheila. Thanks, Wendy.